Hey Rob, it's the start of the podcast where we talk before the start of the podcast. My favourite bit, Jim. It's the intro to the intro. We love a bit of that. And well, what have we got on today's episode? So on this month's episode, we have got a South by South by special recapping our fantastic experience over in Austin at the world's leading technology festival. We've got a bit of drone chat relating to both swimming and sharks and other fantastic things. We've got a wonderful guest in the studio. We do. We've got Hannah Matthews, also known as Hattie, who's an absolute legend and well-loved in the digital and advertising community in London. Talking about her experiences of speaking at South by Southwest this year and generally how much she loves the conference slash festival, the music, the film, the tech, all of that. And if it's there, it's there. If it's not, hit us up on Twitter and tell us something that we should do better next time. This is Alexa Stock. Brought to you with Disruption. Visit disruptionhub.com. Alexa, stop. A podcast about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave and Jim Balls. Well, oh my goodness me, here we are in the Alexa Stop studio. I am Jim Bowes. That must mean that you are Mr... Robert Belgrave. Hello, everybody. I thought you were going to introduce me. Well, you know, it's Robert Belgrave. Hey, hello, everybody. Hope you're well. We're here for our South by Southwest special, and it's a little while since we got back. Yeah, we thought we'd do a roundup, as we have in previous years. We had a fantastic time at South by Southwest. We have a few stories, including the story of the dirty hand, <laughs> which maybe we'll come <laughs> back to. I didn't to. know that was going to come Yeah, up. no, you didn't, did you? But you're going to have to tell that story. Should we crack on with the show? I do you think we to, should. Do you want to chat about other things first? We get down to some normal news. Yeah, why don't we start with a couple of interesting normal news stories? Holy McMoley, it's the news, it's the news. It is the drone special news. Yeah, drones. There's a lot to talk about on this month's episode regarding tech for good and how tech is doing lots of fantastic things in the world. And this story I thought was really cool, which was that in Australia, a place where lots of people like to swim in the sea, I'm told, having never been to Australia, the Australian lifeguards have carried out the first successful drone rescue of some swimmers. And what does it do? Does it drag people out? No, see, I was hoping it was going to do something like that. Actually, what it does is it drops a flotation device. That's so disappointing. <laughs> so disappointing. But is it, is it, is it like got a yellow T-shirt on, it, like it Baywatch? Is, it is at least yellow, yeah. It's yellow and the flotation device is red, so there's a kind okay, of Baywatch so vibe. Bit... Uh, you know, look, joking apart, they actually saved some lives with it, so I guess that's pretty cool. I'll be there. <laughs> Jim is running slowly across the studio. Hasselhoffing. The Shoreditch High Street studio. Shall I try and say that again? Hasselhoffing. Hasselhoffing. Is that a thing? Have you been Hasselhoffing? (laughs) Come and Hasselhoff over here. (laughs) That's what the drones do. They Hasselhoff. Yeah. I actually, yeah. we went on holiday and I hasselhoffed. You did. And then I did press-ups in the surf, in the, in the, just on the beach. Wearing, the beach. wearing a shirt I did. Time. And the lifeguard actually got angry and, and told, told me to get out of the sea. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what happened. That's all a true story. But the other thing that the Australian lifeguards are using drones for is spotting sharks in swimming areas, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah. It feels like we should insert the Jaws music here. I think maybe that story's had its time. The second drone story was the Amazon April Fool, which fooled everybody. Did you see that? A big flying Amazon blimp going across the sky. Yeah, so everyone got really freaked out about this online because it was like super dystopian. And the best edit I saw was putting it to the Death March Star Wars music. or You know the one. Everyone knows it. It's classic. Classic memeville. So the video depicted a massive airship blimp type thing flying slowly across the sky above a city and lots of smaller drones zipping out from it to do their deliveries of their smaller packages and then kind of returning to the mothership. It sounds crazy, Rob, but maybe it's not that crazy. 
Well, no, apparently not, because Amazon actually have got a patent which was awarded for this very concept. So d- despite the fact this was a mock-up by a Japanese artist who just thought it would be fun, it's a real patent that Amazon are actually genuinely interested in doing called Prime Air. So a little bit of message to the people out there planning a blimp-based startup. You're going to have Amazon on your tail. Yes, you are. That's all you need to know. And one more drone story, just to finish this off. It is the day of the drone. Do yes. you remember a couple of months ago, Gatwick Airport was closed by droneness? And on the night that we're recording this, there is a panorama documentary about that where they think it was an inside job. Well, when we record next month, we'll have to check back on that and see what we think. Yeah, and they've now got a new system called UDS, A-U-D-S, which tracks the drones. And they someone's job is now to fly a drone every single day to see if the detection system spots it. Is that a job you'd like, Rob? That sounds like a fantastic job. I, uh, what, what's your job? Once a day I fly a drone and see if something detects it. I mean, you need like a lawn chair and a six-pack and you just like, no? Yeah. <laughs> that would be perfect. Sounds good, doesn't it? Okay, let's what move on. What do you think the salary is for that? <laughs> uh, like a, it's going to be like 35 grand a year, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> drone detection uh, specialist. I mean, I'd be great doing the recruitment for that job. It'd be fantastic. You know, we've narrowed it down to three candidates. And of course, when you're doing something important like that, you need to be able to focus. And for some people, music helps them focus, doesn't it, Rob? Yeah, our second news story this month is about Markov chain generative music, which is a bit of a mouthful. Holy Apex Twin, Rob, what are you talking about? So a guy called Alex, Alex Bainter, who loves Aphex Twin, particularly the song Syro, I think that's how you pronounce it, S-Y-R-O, which is a departure from the synthy dance tunes which make up the majority of Aphex Twin's catalogue, decided that he would create an endless version of the song. Infinite Aphex Twin. Infinite Aphex Twin. Literally Infinite Aphex Twin. And you think, well, that sounds sounds pretty average, right? But actually, it really works. It's designed for focus, isn't it? Yeah, and this is a thing, right? AI generative music is a thing that lots of people are trying to do, and uh, it's being applied to everything from classical music to, you know, electro and all kinds of stuff. And... He has created a website, which is free to use, so please do check it out. It's generative.fm, and on there, there are about 12 different compositions that you can play, and they will play forever until you stop them, and you will never hear a loop because the music is being generated based on a kind of formula of what the beat and bar structure should look like on the fly. Amazing. For focus and kind of background music, it's, it's amazing. I really do think it's the future of things like elevator music and you know sort of ambient music in shopping centers and stuff like that and I've actually started using it occasionally as a kind of ambient noise option when I'm working which I used to use other stuff for sometimes and it's really nice and it does work because you don't end up you know playing the same playlist 16 times or whatever there is that kind of endless feeling to it it will probably not replace girls aloud for me I'm pleased it's working for you so how was your south by southwest Rob my south by southwest was fantastic it's always a joy to go out to austin texas and kind of bathe in the delights of what's coming over the next 12 months in tech and i suppose for me i was just wondering if one of your highlights was when i woke you up at four in the morning unable to open a door that wasn't locked yeah yes the dirty hand story we're going in early with that so listeners jim and i 
to save a bit of cash when we go to South by, we share an Airbnb. And actually, we say that's why, but I think we just really love it. <laughs> we, yeah, it's fun, we, right? It is good. So this year, we were staying in the east side of Austin, which is previously the ghetto. It's rapidly gentrifying. Yeah, very nice. But, you know, still not the nicest area in the city, I would say. And, you know, we're jet lagged. We've got there late. I decide about, I don't know, one in the morning after waiting for Jim to leave the club. <laughs> I'm just going to go because, you know, he's having fun. He's dancing. When Jim dances, that's it. You're never going to see him again. So I headed back to the uh, apartment and decided that I would leave the door unlocked because I knew that Jim was going to come back and he was going to struggle to faff about with the key box and struggle to get in. So I went back, passed out, and I normally sleep like the dead. And about 4 a.m., I woke up to the sound of Jim sort of shouting and banging on the front door. And I went to the front door and opened the front door, which I had left unlocked. And even in the state, you can imagine he was in at four in the morning. He knew immediately what had just happened. He looked at me so sheepishly and just gave me a massive hug. And what made this even more entertaining was that there was an American couple with Jim who he'd somehow accosted and he had a dodgy knee and a dirty hand. It's true. I didn't know I had a dirty hand until I woke up. (laughs) So I woke up with a dirty hand. Right. And I think what must have happened is I must have fallen over at some point and twisted my knee and put my hand out, thus giving me just one dirty hand. Just one dirty hand. What happened is... The Americans? I'd been been drinking and I went to the IPA drinks and I carried on drinking and then I went out a little bit more with some friends of the show and what happened was my phone was low on battery and I was quite drunk and I typed my address for my Airbnb in wrong. So I put myself a good 600 part of the street in the wrong place. But then my phone had died, so I couldn't see where I had to go. So actually, it's a miracle you made it alive. Is so that, I, is that, I had to walk yeah? the streets okay. and I asked this couple to help me find the Airbnb. <laughs> Which they did. They I did. mean, say what you like about Americans. That's pretty impressive. And then I couldn't work a door, but I'd given a lot of energy just to get myself home at that point. This is the sort of place where it was probably a coin flip that he would have got jacked and uh, and left the The people of Austin, very liberal, very nice. I felt totally safe. But I did have a bit of a hangover and it did take me until about three or four or five in the afternoon to get out on the second day. Okay. I think we've indulged ourselves enough with our John Other highlights dates. for me, though, hosting an event on behalf of Beamer and the Department of International Trade. Uh, we had Ferris and Sylvester play a gig for us. That was very good. Yeah, that was fun at the Driscoll. That was uh, another highlight from Jim and I. But let's talk about the themes of the festival, right? So there's always some kind of key themes, some key trends that almost by accident, everybody seems to sort of rally around, right, in terms of all the different talks and the content. But before we go there, we've got to talk about electric scooters. It was interesting. Some of our friends were there from LA who live out in California and they were like, oh, electric scooters. So not excited at all. That's because the only way to get around LA is on massive freeways when you would almost certainly die if you got on one. Perhaps, yes, but also that they have them, right? It's just an everyday occurrence in LA. And we got to South Bay this year and normally to set the scene, if you've not been to the festival, it kind of goes on across the whole city. And there are talks all day from nine until about half five. And there's normally about a half hour gap between the talks. But actually, to walk between the different places would take you half an hour in some cases. And you certainly can't get a taxi because the traffic's terrible. So you were stuck with this kind of dilemma, like like a music festival, right? Like you can't see all the stuff you want to see. And actually, often there were quite large queues for some of the more popular talks. So you had to queue for an hour if you actually wanted to get in. So in previous years, it's been really, really difficult to kind of juggle all these different locations. And it even meant that in some cases, you just wouldn't try and do it, right? Because it was too far to travel. 
Scooters, amazing. Imagine the scene. Everywhere you look, there are 10 to 20 electric scooters just dotted about all over the pavement. Some of them like on their side. Yeah. Some of them with flat batteries. <laughs> some of them with injured British people next to them. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the general scene. So you have yeah. to sort of colour in the scene. Sort of like something from 28 Days Later. Yeah. But with lots of electric scooters added in. Yeah, but like painfully middle class. So these scooters were provided by Uber, by Lyft, by three or four other companies, I think as well, who were kind of independent. And they look a bit like those kind of kick scooters that kids love in the UK, but they've got an electric battery pack on them and a little throttle and a brake. And they go, th- what, 20, 30 miles? An hour? And they have a gyro in them for, for, for balance, uh, so they have a Segway provides some yeah, yeah. So in, in most of them. You would come out of your port, you'd get your phone out, scan the little QR code on the top of the scooter, it gets activated remotely, and you just get billed for how long you use it for. And they were typically, what, like a dollar, maybe two? and Pretty cheap, yeah. And I loved them. Jim wasn't so keen. I, I enjoyed it as a sort of novelty, but like, actually, when we went far on them, so when we went all the way to the karaoke night on them, it was a long way, and it was like vibrating through your knees and ma- made me feel old. I absolutely loved the scooters. And you know what? As much as I'm just ranting about it, I think that it was a snapshot of the future of transportation in some context. Certainly what I'll say is I was in Oslo last week and they're on the street corners in Oslo. And I don't know if it's just because of South By, but I've seen more of them in and around London as well. Yeah, I've noticed a few people with privately owned ones in London as well. Like you say, maybe they were there before, but I keep an eye out for electric scooters. Moving on. What was the second big theme at South by Southwest? It was kind of all around this idea that we've got a bit of a problem with big tech and this speaks back to the episode we did last month with Rob Banner talking about the kind of negative impact on mental health that tech's having and about how maybe if these guys could optimize for joy rather than profit the world would be a better place and that was definitely a trend that kind of ran through the festival this year. Yeah we saw the author of Zucked in one of the talks which is a book about the experiences of someone working alongside Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, I think also there was huge raps around buildings, a lot about your data, really. So how Facebook sees you, how Amazon sees you, how Google sees you. It was a real sort of conversation that Austin was really trying to have with everyone. And some of it was because of the programming and the lineup. And some of it was because of huge visual things around the city itself. Yeah, a lot of awareness, right? Like, I think it seemed like they were just trying to get everyone thinking about it and try and start the debate, which was great. And... I guess for me, it kind of broke into a couple of different areas. So maybe we just whiz through those. So I think the first one was about this idea of data monopolies. And I've ranted about this on this podcast before. Yep. But there are really only four or five companies in the West. I mean, Amy Webb gave a talk. She's a kind of exceptional futurist analyst on these topics. She said there are nine companies in the world that are going to own this space. And three of them are in China. The rest are kind of in the West. And between those businesses, they've got all the data. Like nobody else has the data sets and nobody else can build the data sets. And so what these businesses see when they look at you and this is the kind of idea like what does amazon know about you what does facebook know about you might really impact your life one day and 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 might be you know might be positive might be quite negative and so it was interesting to see that that was kind of the first step this year was they were just trying to get everyone thinking about it and just to kind of frame this there was a I can't remember which talk it was in. I think it might have been the Zucked talk. He sort of explained to the audience that there's this thing called a runaway objective function, which is common parlance in programming and mathematics. And a runaway objective function is basically a function that is desired to maximize or minimize something. And he was saying that what's happened with a lot of these companies that call it the big nine is they've kind of got this runaway objective function to make money. And it's just like 
everything else has just been sort of cast aside to just go after growth and profit and all the stuff that comes with that. And data is what's fueling that for a lot of these guys. And so, you know, it's a real problem that there really are only a handful of people that have these huge monopolies of data because it is a monopoly. And we, and when we look back at some of the other topics that we've covered previously, like computational propaganda and, and effect on the election of, of algorithms which are optimised for profit but have sort of... Um, what we think are probably unintended effects by the content that's recommended in an, in an election setting, you get to sort of see some of the real world impacts of that. On the real world front, there was a fantastic talk from the CEO of a company called Graphica, and they're a specialist company that maps like disinformation in networks and like bad actors in networks. And so they were one of the companies that was given the bundle by the US Senate when the Facebook Russia gate happened. And they spent things eight months, they said, like going through it all in detail to look at how the Russians had influenced the election in uh, last cycle when Trump got in. And he had these beautiful kind of 3D models of the networks. And it just made it so clear, right, that you could just see the way it was grouped, like what organic conversation look like between different participants in the network and then what the bad actors look like and and you know it's great that the tools are starting to come forward to allow us to kind of take back control of this stuff and i know that you know facebook and twitter and these guys are trying to sort this out it's kind of what rob was saying is they're not fundamentally bad people they're not they're not deliberately allowing this stuff to take place and so it sort of feels like we're reaching a bit of a crescendo and south by tends to set the tone for the next 18 months really has been my experience about the kind of wider debate and it seems like we're getting to a point where this stuff is finally going to get the attention it deserves and things might get better absolutely and i think maybe it will but there's still that force for profit is still there also at this year's south by was some of the sort of heritage of the event so it was 10 years since foursquare launched which was kind of interesting because Foursquare launched in 2009 at South by Southwest and they've pivoted to be a data provider. They power a lot of the point of interest or location things in apps like Uber. And actually, there's probably also some hidden companies like them, really, who are perhaps not so publicly known now, who've also got control of huge amounts of data. So whether it's just nine, I, I, I don't know, because I think there could be some people that own component parts it's really easy for us to throw stuff at the really massive organizations but i think there's like silent tech companies who actually are just helping power things under the hood yeah well certainly collecting that data on behalf of those people so that was the graphica thing and then what was really nice was that in that same kind of vein people were starting to talk more about tech for good and some of the damage that these sort of data harvesting experiences are creating, let's say Instagram being one of them. And there's a fantastic talk by Brian Solis, this American guy. He gave us a couple of brilliant little one-liners. So one is that smartphones are killing pedestrians. 41% of Americans have had smartphone-related accidents. I suppose your dirty knee was a smartphone-related accident. I mean, I mean, I'm not being counted in that 41%. Oh, well, you're, you are you are statistic, my friend. At the very least, I'm not American, so yeah, that's true. I have to be included in the UK stats. Okay, the, the, I'm going to be included. The Office of National Statistics count these stats. I'm yeah. sure they do. I'm sure they do. Another one was that in Finland, they've started putting the traffic signals for pedestrians on the floor. So they cast the signal on the floor because they found that people were getting run over, right? Because they were looking at their phones, so staring at their feet, basically, and they wouldn't see the traffic signals. That's pretty telling. That's just good UX, right? (laughs) I suppose so, yeah, but kind of terrifying. Another was that there is now a medical condition called selfie wrist. Yeah, there's more than one way to get that. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not sure I want to live in a world where people have selfie wrist. No. No? No. No. Okay. No. You know, look, it all kind of rounds off in this idea that every time you use your phone, it is getting smarter and you are getting stupider. And our third trend was AI, which seems to be a trend all the time in just about everything. Was it not blockchain? No, not blockchain. <laughs> Definitely AI. There was blockchain content, but we're not going to talk about that. Is that because it was so rubbish? <sighs> Do you know what? I didn't even bother this year after how bad it was last year. The AI debate rages on and kind of was a thread that ran through all of the different talks, all the stuff we've been talking about already. But the, the, the kind of key addition to that, I suppose, was the China angle. So there were a number of different speakers talking specifically about the way that AI is being used in China and some of the businesses over there that are taking advantage of a very different approach to data and privacy than that that we have in the West. And we know that the sort of investment in AI in China is far beyond that of anywhere else in the world. So, you know, potential for huge impact on our lives over the next sort of five to 10 years. I mentioned Amy Webb already. So Amy had another great quote in one of her talks, which was that if data is the new oil, China is the new OPEC. And that there are nine companies that control the future of AI, as I mentioned before, and that three of them are Chinese. So this is a really big deal. Part of the reason why China are, are accelerating ahead is because they've just got a much bigger data set. Data is the fuel that powers AI. AI really is machine learning in the context of what most people mean. Machine learning learns by addressing a data set. The more data you give it, the more accurate it can become. The data collection devices for most of these algorithms are smartphones, right? And so the more people you have with smartphones in a big data set, the better your AI can get and the more quickly and more accurately it can learn. And in China, they have a essentially a state-owned data set, which they make available to their industry because they've decided as like a government plan that they want to be a world leader in artificial intelligence. So they just said to everybody, we're going to have all your data and we're going to give it to all of our businesses and they're going to get really good at AI. And obviously that's completely different to the narrative here and, it's and terrifying. in America. Yeah, it's, well, it is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. But as a result, they already can do stuff that is like the stuff of sci-fi here. Do you think they use Chinese AI facial recognition in Line of Duty? Have you been watching Line of Duty? Yeah. Are you going to spoil Line of Duty for our loyal listeners? Well, no, I'm not going to spoil it, but, you know, they just keep throwing in lots of facial recognition and they keep going, a 99.5% chance that it's this person. And so they've thrown in a lot of facial recognition okay. into the plot line of Line of Duty. So I wondered if it was Chinese tech they were using or just Photoshop. I mean, probably Photoshop in this case, but in China it would probably be 99% then, wouldn't it? So, you know, they're already doing stuff... Like some of the examples were things like they already have the connected home, right? They already have IoT toasters, fridges, ovens, bathtubs, like everything in the house is already connected and the data set is all coming together. And so they really can already do stuff like you've just put some toast in your toaster, hit your smartphone with an advert for Marmite or like, you know, they've already got that level of sophistication to the whole ecosystem and it's powering some stuff that people are just talking about theoretically. In, and in do Europe. you fear that day that there's like a knock on the door and it's like, Mr. Belgrave, you've been over toasting your bread. You're an enemy of the state. And I particularly enjoyed the police siren on Shoreditch High Street. <laughs> <laughs> it really added, perfectly some, really added some theatre there. So AI, want to keep an eye on China, even more so, that was the other kind of big trend, I guess, from South by this year. Um, is it that point in time where we move on to your CTO story? And this time you were away a lot. And so your CTO was sad because he missed you. But while he was missing you, he was doing something important. This month, while I was 
gallivanting around America and other such delights, our CTO was busily doing what he does best, which is sweating the details. And this is why everybody needs a great CTO in their lives. Because of our CTO and uh, some of my other fantastic colleagues, we have recently moved into a stunning new office. And I would tell you what, I would absolutely hate to be one of the fantastic team that was building our office on the receiving end of some of his sweating of details. But it's a, it's a magical thing. I've seen some wonderful photos. I mean, if your studio and office was closer to where we are based it would be a great place to record the podcast, wouldn't it? Where you are based. Is that, where I'm based. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, there's sort of like a gravity thing, isn't there, in relation to Shoreditch? Well, it's I, where content happens. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, our guest Hattie's only had to come like 10 minutes down the road on her bike, which might be something to do with it as well. But who knows? Rob and I have been talking about getting a house together in the country. Yeah, we actually have. That, <laughs> might, that might be one for another episode. <laughs> well, well, when we try and make a play for like, you know, a place in the sun presenters. I think they need a better tech angle on that program. <laughs> I'm sure they do. And so that's our CTO story for this month. Our next segment is something from the hype curve. And we thought, oh, you, you're looking at me like you want to do a jingle. Go on, Jim. Well, I don't know what you think. I was going to like try and bring some hype to the hype curve jingle. It's like, hype, <laughs> hype. That's a hype type curve. <laughs> Never been like that before. No, it's, maybe it'll be like that again. We thought we'd talk about a couple of the things we saw in a magical place. It's a magical place, but now it's closed down. It's called Toys R Us. No, or in this case, the South by trade show floor. Last year, I bought a thing that gives you electric shocks. How much have you used that? <laughs> Not, much. Not much. You I bought, bought two of you them. You bought two, didn't you? She saw it, you coming. You like attach these gels to your body and it like puts electricity into your muscles and makes them spasm. It's like those <laughs> things you see on daytime telly. That's all I could think when I watched you buying them. I want your audition to present QVC, actually. And um, in the auditions for presenting QVC, uh, you get given a product and you have to do five minutes on it. And I got given a tea tree oil pack and I had to do five minutes on tea tree oil about why people should buy it. Hardest gig ever. That's enough <laughs> minutes on tea tree oil today. And so the things we'd like to talk about on the hype curve were things that Jim and I saw on the trade show floor. So in the center of the festival, there's a kind of trade show expo where people from all over the world pay to have a stand and they want to kind of pitch their wares. And it is a hotbed of nonsense. International frankly. wackiness, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Japanese area is always the one. It's always absolutely the place if you ever go just go straight to the japanese area and then leave afterwards but i think they're probably just loads for tourism in japan because every all the time you're like i've got to go i to mean japan. i want to go to japan yeah exactly so there are a couple of things we saw that were really cool the first every single person i know that saw this just talks about it it was the 3d printed sushi yeah yeah you saw that i did see it the sort of long of the short is they are opening a restaurant next year in tokyo which is a kind of concept restaurant and the book table you send them your DNA. I think they send you a kit, right, that you spit in a tube or whatever and send it off to them. And then they analyze your genetic makeup and they make you the perfectly nourishing dinner specifically for you, right? I love this, like designer food. And they create these beautiful 3D printed sushi pieces that look like sculptures, like a kind of jade sculpture or an amazing castle or whatever and they do it using a fish mountain a fish mountain oh i want a fish mountain made for my dna they do it using fish proteins that they've figured out how to kind of put into a 3d printer and various seaweeds and all the kind of sushi stuff and they they reckon it'll be so delicious you'll absolutely love it i mean should we go <laughs> to tokyo yes you want to go to japan anyway i mean it's anyways. yes 
So 3D printed sushi. Do you think we'll do a special? Is that Does that warrant an episode? I think it does. 3D printed sushi. It's a real thing. Go to Tokyo. Check it out. Absolutely incredible. Who do you think is funding that? I don't know. Private industry? Someone who like really wants uh, to have some DNA-based I mean, sushi. I'm guessing it's not going to be cheap, mate. <laughs> like, I reckon they'll probably make a few quid out of selling designer sushi. But anyway, so that was the first thing from the hype curve. The second thing was a flying stick. This was also from the Japanese area. Very Harry Potter. It was very Harry Potter. So what they'd done is they'd got a VR headset. Imagine like a broom handle. And on both ends of it, they put some big fans, almost like a little drone that would like create an updraft. And so they, they get you to hold the broomstick above your head and then put the VR headset on. And then in the VR experience, you kind of jump off a building and then the drones kick in and it feels like you're being pulled up into the air and you're kind of flying, hanging off this stick, right? Sort of flying around above a city. And you think, oh yeah, whatever. And then you watch people do it and they lose their minds. Like they are freaking out, screaming. And then as the thing like in inverted commas, comes down to land. You see them sort of brace their legs as it comes in. So I just thought, actually a really simple idea and sort of hilariously analog concept. But Amazing. Uh, it was amazing. And that was, so that was another fun thing. The flying stick, which is, I guess, is about bringing experiences to life using VR and something else that's sensory. Uh, and the third and final thing from the hype curve, which for me just sort of sums up the ridiculous situation that this whole experience is, was a robot arm playing the Beverly Hills Cop theme on a keyboard. Just the one? I was, uh, I think four, four arms. of them. It's four oh. arms, wasn't it? So I've, they, they also played the final countdown. They did. So they were playing duets. So it was four robot arms mimicking two humans on two separate keyboards playing these duets. And God, they were doing it on loop. Can you imagine being opposite that all day? It was bad enough being there for 10 minutes. And then opposite that, at the same time, was a Lockheed Martin stand with some military guy demonstrating an exoskeleton robot thing. So basically he was wearing these kind of robot legs that gave him extra strength and he could jump higher and lift stuff. And I mean, like, ridiculous. And so just imagine that scene, Beverly Hills Cop being played by a robot, army man lifting heavy stuff. This is all totally normal. Normal life. South by Southwest. Yeah, perfect. Now, of course, it would be good if there was some tech that you'd like to bring back that you saw whilst you were in the city of Austin. Is there something, Mr. Robert Belgrave? There is. We'll round off, as always, with something we'd like to bring back. And my South by thing I'd like to bring back is the space race, because it's very clear to me, based on some of the stuff we saw on the trade show floor, but also some of the talks, that we in our lives are going to see another space race it's happening now right and it's going to happen with private industry not with governments this yeah, time the private space race well it's going to be the billionaire space race isn't it we've got elon we've got bezos although slightly less wealthy now but still wealthy enough they are all going at it and they all are looking to the stars and there are other sort of smaller competitors emerging one of them had a beautiful kind of sculpted jet engine rocket engine thing that you could look at on the trade show floor and they're all going after the same thing which is kind of commercial space flight. and there is of course the flat earth crew well the flat earth crew unfortunately their days may be numbered as it becomes ever more clear that the earth is in fact round but anyway tech i'd like to bring back it's the space race i'm very much looking forward to it would you go to space it's a good question i'd want to know how long it would take me to get back so that's the thing about mars so mars is a bit far you would do like a virgin galactic I'd go to the moon, maybe. Me too. 
and that rounds off our tech I'd like to bring back. So we're just going to reset the studio and then we will invite our fantastic guest, Hattie, to join us to talk all about her experience of South by Southwest. She gave a talk. We're going to hear all about that, why she loves the festival and a bit about her fantastic journey with Kamarama. See you in a minute. Welcome back to the Electrosop Studio. We are joined by our very special guest, Hannah Matthews, although most people know her affectionately as Hattie. Welcome to the studio. Hello. Hattie and I have shared some delightful times at South By over the years. I've just shared a few. I remember we were at the Roaring Fork last year. Yeah, the Roaring Fork. For me, it was always Berlin House, German House. German House. German House, listening to banging techno yes. in Austin which was a super feels like your, your, your experiences were later and <laughs> yeah. more inebriated <laughs> and than the mine Germ- uh, the Dutch New Wave as the well the Dutch New Wave really cool. there were there were there really were people in orange jackets smoking weed outside the uh, <laughs> the Dutch house which I thought maybe was some sort of joke but no it just happened to have been what was going on but it turns out when we did some research that Hattie was actually doing other things in South by Southwest rather than just partying to techno. Indeed she was. Why don't I introduce her? So Hattie joined Kamarama. If you don't know Kamarama, they're one of the leading advertising agencies in the country, responsible for all kinds of amazing work you have seen in your lives every day. The Guardian, the Army, or I'm sure you mentioned Some just other people. Um, <laughs> she's been there, seen the agency grow from 25 to 250 people, which is an amazing journey. Over that time, working with clients like Diageo, Molson Coors, Heineken, Amstel, MTV, UKT, you get the idea. Blah, blah, blah. Big deal. <laughs> She's one of 10 Women of Tomorrow, listed by Campaign Magazine, The Telegraph, and The Stylist, and also one of Management Today's magazine's 35 under 35 women in the UK. Also a founding member and former president of Bloom and an active member of Wackle, which would be great to hear a bit about, mm-hmm. uh, and now sitting on the Wackle Exec Committee as well, which is awesome, and a trustee of the White Ribbon Alliance advocating for women's health globally, and just an all-round awesome human being. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. I didn't know you were going to read my bio. Girls, I made it shorter, shorter for you. <laughs> I mean, I like as good as lengthy. I like, I like <laughs> to read Sounds like you're busy. Great bio. No, no, strong, strong bio. <laughs> Look, why don't we start by just talking about the festival? Why do you love South By? What is it that makes you go back every year? I mean, I'm it's where my tech geek, I guess, meets my music festival, you know, fan. I love I love my music anyway, so I love going to South By because it combines my two favourite things. It is my favourite festival conference thing in the world, probably after Glastonbury. I've got it. That's a special okay. place in my heart for Glastonbury. But yeah. South by South, the tech at Glastonbury is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> in, up in the healing fields. Well, you say that actually. There might be something in the pipeline this year, Ooh. so we'll talk about that perhaps in the future. Well, that would be exciting. And Hattie does have the inside track on, on Glastonbury. <laughs> I, do, I do love a bit of Glastonbury. It's some of my favourite gigs ever there so but i do love South South. yes there are tech trends etc but it's just ideas it's like looking into the future into crystal ball seeing loads of mad things that might be around the corner i like all your kind of sci-fi writers mm-hmm. you your mind is blown and it's really exciting and on top there is just that layer where you get to catch up with a load of people that you don't really see that often yeah who do live in the same country as you most of them but 
I mean, is that a bit sad that we go all that way to then hang out with each other? I don't really know, but it is quite funny. And then somebody always knows Austin better than someone else and has the secret code to get into that bar (laughs) that you can't get into. Yeah, that was Zero two two nine, wasn't it? This year. There's a bar and on the outside it, it says floppy disk repair co. It's amazing. And you've got to have the door code it's to get 0229. <laughs> they change it every change month it now. <laughs> to stop you getting in, Jim. <laughs> and this year you spoke, right? So maybe yes. we start there. So what was the talk about? Right. So probably about a year ago, we were thinking, God, we really like to have a go at pitching for a speaker slot. What are the big issues today? What are we annoyed about? What do we want to change in the world? And there was a lot of chat at the time, fake news, inaccuracies reported, a lot of extremist chat, a lot of extreme debate, not really much consensus in a lot of debates and a lot of topics. But we said, wouldn't it be great if technology could provide something, you know, a good service here? What if we could create an artificial intelligence that was socially positive in some way? So how could we figure out how AI could help with these debates? Could it live fact check, etc.? So that's where we started off. We came up with a crazy idea to do a live debate. It's a bit of an experiment that would be moderated by an artificial intelligence bot. Okay. And did this start out the way that all South by Southwest talks? So you didn't really pay too much attention to whether you could do it technically (laughs) and you just filled in the box. You kind of start off with a brainstorm at the agency and you're like, what are the issues we're really passionate about? We're Karma-Rama, so Karma-Rama, it's the idea of what goes around comes around. We believe in good works and we try and do the right thing for ourselves, for our clients, but for consumers and for people out there in the world. So we're like, what are the kind of issues that we think technology could help fix if it was applied not just for money, but for good? And this so, was right in the midst of the fake news debate, right? When, yeah. when this idea was born. And, and I guess, as Jim and I know, having been through it as well, and you just don't expect to get accepted, right? Like it's such a minefield to make it through so you just think oh we'll pitch it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly that then you're like oh my god we're gonna make this thing now which was quite scary because then it's suddenly october and you work out you know you're creating a new product yeah you're gonna have to build it test it get it working quite soon quite quickly so yeah that was quite full on so tell us a bit more about the talk like so what happened on the day how did it go like a bit more about the concept yeah so the idea was there was me debating i was on the optimist we were debating about data is it the answer or the end but we called it battle extremes had sanu singh from the drum she was debating against she was saying you know data is really scary and privacy issues and concerns around it we had to make it quite aggro so that there was quite a lot of obvious sentiment difference so between you needed to really polarize it, yeah, right? yeah, yeah you know we're using live text analysis of to figure out what we were saying the emotion so we had certain trigger words and things like that we can train in the corpus of data yeah so could the ai identify whether or not i was getting fearful or was i happy so it was looking for emotion in what we were saying it was looking for accuracy in our debate so were we spewing out fake facts or making them up you know did i actually uh, think i might have quoted a number incorrectly which is quite fun because it added a bit of drama to the talk when the ai pulled me up live on stage in front of <laughs> 700 people and said you know that's not the correct uh-uh. Uh-uh. i think i did a a stat about the NHS and the number of medical records wanted it to pull me up on it because sure. the point of it is Are you playing with it a little bit you gotta add a bit of drama in we yeah. were like you know we were creative agency so we had to make it fun no, but, for the audience but you need the set play to make the point because exactly yeah but the idea is sound I mean I think that live fact checking all news coverage would genuinely be amazing wouldn't it like it's a really nice idea so imagine this in the context and i don't know if this is because i've been at a couple of things this week but imagine this in the context of the brexit campaign and the 381 million on the side of the bus actually i was out with somebody last night who works in this area fact checking in the news and we were talking about this project because we would really like to open source what we've done so far 
give it away. Uh, we had some people from Stanford, actually, who were all AI students in the audience. And we were sort of saying, if anybody wants to like take what we've done and make it work in the real world, that'd be fantastic. But there were loads of issues. You're, obviously, your AI is only as good as the data you give it to train it on. So the corpus of data that you create. So if, if there's live news that's happening and people are making up a new stat, and there's, it's quite difficult to check that quickly if you haven't yeah. trained up your AI. Because to work out whether that figure was real, you'd have yes. to be able to calculate lots of things in relation to the whole budget of Europe, I guess. And it's like, and how you're calculating, are you talking about net or what are you talking about exactly? So, And if you have got, if in, in, in your data input, you're like believing Boris's Twitter, then you're already <laughs> onto a loser, right? Yeah, you've got a problem. Um, but, you know, in theory, if it was in, if the debate was within a topic that you could fact check the key data points within that debate, give that to the AI to learn, we had a live visualisation on screen behind us. Actually, I'm not sure how helpful that was because you're probably looking at the visualisation rather than the debaters. Yeah. If it was a live news show, you could imagine actually... Fiona Brees or whoever was sort of stopping at a key pause point and just having it fed in the ear. Oh, by the way, that stat wasn't correct. Which comes back really to sort of one of those common uses of AI, which is in that sort of assistant mode. Yeah. So whether it's a creative assistant or a fact-checking assistant yeah. or a booking something assistant. Totally. Then, it, then there's that little bit of human layer which goes, Do I should I use this thing yeah. that, that I've been told? Yeah, we uh, we sort of pitched the idea, which is probably why I got, you know, this is going to be an AI moderated debate. You know, it was a yeah. bot that was going to moderate. And actually, as we developed it and created it, we realised it was like actually an assistant for a real live moderator was a better role for it. Yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, that makes sense. Like my day job, right? Well, we do loads of consulting at the moment with businesses trying to do AI stuff. And whenever you're trying to augment a human process, it's much, much easier to get something to work effectively whereas if you try and do the apparent intelligence or super intelligent stuff where it's like the machine does the whole job really really hard or actually just impossible still i mean we'll get there but right now like you say i could i could imagine just giving because they have people frantically fact checking already right and they're sitting there with laptops scrabbling around and so just giving them a bit of assistance to just more quickly and more seamlessly do that would be amazing so so maybe that's where it'll land if the stanford kids yeah, we always seem to want the AI to try and do what's actually really difficult for humans yeah. rather than what it's really naturally quite good at. And, you know, human emotion is very difficult. In a debate, irony, any kind of nuances, it's not really going to yeah. pick those Tone, up. Tone, intent, yeah. all that stuff. even accents. I mean, yeah. we yeah. did a few rehearsals because it needed to learn how we speak and after a three or four goes of talking to it it did totally pick up everything we said including swearing which was quite fun but <laughs> it did start to learn and start to understand our accents and his accent and my accent so just like i guess technically a little bit about it so it was processing your live voices yeah. turning that into text sending that to its natural language processing yes and then how did it come back when it wasn't happy with something? So we had sort of three key visuals on stage at all times. So one was accuracy of debate. So what I was saying, well, did it match up with what was in the corpus of data or not? Was my NHS fact incorrect because I got the number wrong? <laughs> and it could differentiate between the voices. We had uh, directional mics as well. So that really helped. If it was on TV, a TV debate and there were people shouting over the top, would be more difficult to figure yeah. out who's doing what, who's saying what. But that was quite fun. And then we had live emotion. It was measuring emotion from what we were saying rather than kind of how heated it was getting. And then visualising that on stage. The kind of idea was really at the end of each section was the bot helping us reach consensus or were we diverging? Like, were we just arguing and getting more extreme? Because everyone, you know. So it was sort of trying to keep the debate constructive as well as just fact-checking it. 
Yeah, I think just off the back of the fact there's been a lot of high emotion, extreme views, and not a lot of consensus. No one's really listening to each other. So did you find some level of consensus? Was there a a vote in the audience or... Did you? Did someone win? Well, in traditional debate, you'd have a winner and a loser. But our objective with this experiment was: could AI help us reach consensus by seeing when we're and calling us out when we're being extreme and irrational or even inaccurate? So it did call us out. We did converge a little. We were pretty opposed in our points of view, but we did find some commonality. Um, but we put it to the audience at the end, which is: do you think that having the AI? has aided your understanding of the debate. Yeah. And everyone was like, yeah, it's really good. Cool. Except for one guy, he was kind of like... He I wasn't don't, having it. Yeah, he wasn't <laughs> having it. He was sort of like, actually, I don't think we should be trying to reach consensus oh, with anything. One. We were... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Guy. Well, congratulations. It sounds Thank like, it sounds like a, a smash hit. I mean, it was amazing. Really fun idea. It was amazing. And the team worked on it. So my CTO, Pete, you know, uh, yeah. we work with Accenture Applied Intelli- Intelligence and the docs. So they are a really amazing group of um, artificial intelligence experts in Dublin. Yeah. And they help us out loads because there's lots of these AIs you can pull together into your own unique product so it was quite cool learned a lot through it and we're hoping that we'll give it away and other people will start using it well get in touch right if, yeah if, if, any, if, look, if anybody wants if yeah, anyone's yeah. interested in it and taking it and developing it further it's it's not an easy thing to do it's quite a time-consuming thing to do but it, it's out there have you got like blogs or write-ups about it? Yeah, or? it's been on, and the drummer wrote an article about it. So if you want to have a look on the drum uh, AI right. debate bot, you'll find it on there. Cool. We'll put some stuff in the show notes cool. as well, so right. people are interested. That's fantastic. And uh, shout out to Peter Delokhanov, who's yeah. who sweated <laughs> for the, the live tech demo. And, he and did not sleep the night before that show, I mean, and that was wasn't because he was in a bar. He, w- he went home early. And didn't <laughs> sleep. Like, he was super stressed out. So fair play to him. That's, that's, that's to a, be fair, because it was an early gig wasn't it we actually asked for the first session of the day because we needed to set up and get the wiring and the cabling it was like, you know, yeah yeah so guys thought you're like because we didn't want any of our friends there <laughs> I, I, I would have definitely been there but i didn't wake up till 2 p.m yeah, that, day. that was the, oh, night that was the, the day the was hand. it yeah the dirty hand day it was. you clearly had been one of those scooters and fallen off in the gutter and put your hand in something dirty yeah yeah sounds about right and so let's talk then more generally about your festival experience this year so what were some themes that you saw what like what what really stayed with you finding it really hard to keep quiet early when you're talking it's quite a challenge for me to be quiet you were here in the background (laughs) the magic of our interviews is our guest always um, has to sit quietly while we i love this stuff about well i didn't love it it was depressing but the stuff about digital addiction peak distraction how distracted we all are apparently attention span has gone down in the last 10 years from half an hour or three minutes then it's down again to 45 seconds so we're just like not able to concentrate on any task in hand uh, and I loved your stat about 41% of Americans have had an accident yeah. and I did google that to look for the UK and apparently according to National Accident Helpline yeah. 43% of the UK have had an accident with their smartphones who knew including two people who had a phone accident with it falling on their face I can see how that happened because there's those sort of accidents well, in bed where like you're trying bed. to watch a TV <laughs> programme. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a statistic. This could take a different turn. Uh, okay. So I loved, I loved all that. And there was um, some talk about Honolulu. Hawaii apparently have brought in a distracted walking law. So if you're, it? so it's illegal? If you're caught crossing the road looking at your phone in Honolulu, you can get a $99 fine. I hate that. Like, I have a real issue with places that, like, get you in trouble for jaywalking. One of the things that I least like about Germany, because I I like to walk freely across roads. Is jaywalking illegal in Germany? Well, certainly I've been shouted at by people. (laughs) Is that why? But that's, (laughs) I mean, that could be unrelated. Let's let's face it. But uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, good. Big up Hawaii. That's an amazing law. I mean, London would be 
knackered, wouldn't it? If they put that in. I mean, that was a trip that we were both on, actually. That was one of the ones where we got... Rob and I met by being sat next to each other at dinners and we oh, were sat wow. next to each other in a di- dinner in oh, berlin. berlin oh yeah. mate people shout at you for all kinds of reasons in berlin well someone <laughs> sh- the way i crossed the road caused shouting and so from jim's road crossing story to how you got around what did you think of the scooters that i well i've got a dodgy knee already so i wouldn't go anywhere near the thing so no. they look like how, how did you get your dodgy knee oh that was a long time ago so i was already it was already dodgy before south by southwest but yeah now i did see quite a few people that had cut knees i saw a my favorite was a security guard trying to ride one of those e-scooters one-handed which is Ooh. not a good idea whilst carrying two pizzas under his other arm okay obviously on his lunch break or dinner break or something and he just hit a massive pothole and it was just pizza down pizza everywhere pizza everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. No. I mean, I love a pizza. That'd be awful. <laughs> I bet. But like Rob, Rob's like, I'm he, deeply conflicted. I, I love the scooters, <laughs> but I would, I also love a pizza. He, and he, but also he's like quite a cocky scooter rider. So he would be like, oh, look at that guy. I could definitely ride a scooter. I could deliver pizzas off of one of these scooters. That would be your positioning. But yeah. the other favourite way to get around, I saw a gig and I thought, I looked at the right of the stage and I thought, is that a horse? And I was like, it looks like a horse. It's too weird. So I went around the back and had a look and it was a guy riding a horse and another guy riding a mule. It was an outdoor gig in a yard and they'd sort of come and stood by the fence and they were literally looking over the fence on there. <laughs> That's amazing. Mule-horse combo. Well, that is better than having to get inside, really, I guess. Use your horse. I mean, I don't know where to go. From the, from reminds, from the mule horse reminds me of a Rubber Bandit song who are like a comedy <laughs> song act. They've got a, a song called I Have a Horse Outside which you can find on YouTube, distinctly <laughs> Irish in its comedic value. It's very memorable. And as two boys that love your tech, did either of you purchase the Bose sunglasses at South by Southwest? What, the weird, like, ones that have a gyroscope in them? And Yes. Do you know, I saw a pair. I was really underwhelmed. Oh. I was like, what was I missing? It seemed like they were great for golfers, and I don't oh. play golf. These are a pair yeah. of sunglasses that are on the market now. I think they're 200 bucks or something. Sounds about right. Bose have created them. So they've got yeah. speakers and mic in the arms. But they've also got, yeah, directional... They know which direction you're looking in. They're giving out about 500 pairs, I think, to developers to try and create some new apps and things using it. It's interesting because I guess there's things like Magic Leap glasses that were released last year, which were meant to be like a mega step forward in that space. But most glasses that do anything have failed so far in the market. Mm. So it feels like lots of people believe some form of glasses are the future, but no one's quite made one or, or a set desirable enough for people to go, yeah, I'm going to wear those and it does a useful thing. Yeah. But it feels like it's coming, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was lots of talk about VSO being the new, you know, SEO and more search going to be done by voice in the future. Visual search optimization. Yeah, yeah. For audio, and, uh, right. audio and visual, but yeah. not just traditional SEO. Um, and there's some products like uh, that the won awards. At, um, so AI Poly won awards at CES last year. And so it's that sort of how is new tech that's won awards a while ago? How have other people sort of developed things off the back of that? And how's that getting incorporated by people, I guess, like Bose? and other technology providers yeah, yeah hearables they were sort of showing you know there's a few people doing hearables not just wearables so in the trade show last year I bought some things that give you electric shocks and affect your muscles like I sort of like anything I buy randomly has to be somewhat ridiculous <laughs> like, <laughs> but like some glasses that look like everyone might want a pair I'm like that's not ridiculous enough for me no South by Southwest. they're quite subtle they just look like normal sunglasses yeah they did they were quite un- yeah they weren't extravagant at all I was, I'm quite but, interested in the idea of walking around London and actually not having to look at your phone to 
get the information yeah because it's just feeding it through the arm of the sunglasses so there was golf wasn't there what was the other one it was um for like museum tours and stuff and like guided yeah, tours, city, and city city tours, tours and, and stuff, stuff like that so, kind of yeah. seems obvious yeah they're definitely interesting if something would make south by southwest better for you Ooh. what would it be Ooh, not having to queue to get into gigs so I first went in 2012, I think, or 2013. And, and over that time, Austin as a city has grown a massive amount. And Facebook, Google and Oracle are all moving huge campuses to Austin yeah. over the next couple of years yeah. or increasing the ones they have. At what point do you think Seoul runs out and something becomes mm. more heavily commercialised? And, and is there a chance that it will lose what's special about it over the next few years? Ooh, I don't know. It's a bit, I mean, it's constantly evolving. It has got a real freshness to it. But if you look at the brands that are there, interesting, creative, ambitious. What is it the second startup capital of states or yeah, something? Silicon Mountains or something. I mean, it's silicon everything it. in yeah. every city, isn't yeah. it now? There is, as you say, like huge startup community there. So I suppose the question I would ask is, would you encourage our listeners to go next year? For sure. And I would say, look into applying to speak because you get obviously your passes, which is huge investment, yeah, the biggest part of grand, going. Isn't it? So have a look online. You kind of think, well, maybe I don't stand a cat in hell's chance, but they have various work strands and themes. And if you can find something you're doing or you want to create something that fits into one of those themes, I think go for it. But brilliant to see more people out there in our gang. I mean, I mostly come for the drinks and the hanging out. <laughs> so. <laughs> My friends are trying to get Jim to do some work. But why don't, you, why don't you get a pitch for a slot in the uh, UK trade show? Because I think that's just, you could be next to Japan this time next year. I know, don't we? Living the dream next to Japan. <laughs> so we should probably talk about some of the other things that you get up to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm on the exec, WACL, Women in Advertising Communications London, which has been going since 1923. Wow. Pre-Mad Men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were in there first. <laughs> but it's amazing. So lots of initiatives. There's a big thing in The Guardian at the weekend you might have seen about is, is uh, advertising industry still sexist and yeah. various members were involved Conclusion in that. Conclusion seems to be yes. It's about campaigning for gender equality in the advertising communications industry through a number of things we do support inspiration i can plug oh, i can plug the conference yeah, this is your moment. brilliant there's a gather which is just the best day it's really hard to explain how good a conference is until you've been right yeah. they all sound the same on paper but it's phenomenal it's for women in the industry it's a whole day really inspirational conference taking place at king's place it's on the 23rd of may loads of brilliant female speakers and men too but yeah it's really amazing that's part of our kind of inspirational theme how to inspire the next generation of female leaders we also do some campaigning stuff too so very involved in the time to sexual harassment code last year a whole group of people like naps involved in that but been really really amazing and such such an inspiring group of women to to work with and be involved with because there's certain events that sort of get their number of women speaking or general diversity and sort of inclusion really right. And then there's some events that have been like really... So one of our people at Manifesto blogged about it recently that I think there was only like six women speakers on a whole conference across Was that to Mexico probably? I mean, uh, South by Southwest, I have to say, do it really well. So when you apply to do your... Uh, hopefully the listeners are going to apply for their slot. But one of the first things they ask you is, how does this speaker contribute to a diverse perspective? And that's a pretty broad question. Yeah. But you know, and I be, like the way they ask that question yeah. too. Because it's not just, oh, you're a man, yeah. you're white, therefore you don't it's have like a diverse opinion. Exactly. Right? Like it, they're going a bit deeper than just the colour of your skin or yeah. your background as well. And it could fantastic. be something you do in your spare time exactly. or it could be a DNI role or whatever it is, but they want to know. And actually they do, you know, probably half the speakers I saw were women. Really amazing. Don't really get that at any other conference, I don't think. 
Yeah, I think the one I was referring to is some sort of media production sort of, so I guess more sort of ad industry-ish, but, but for people that work in production, on the production side of things. Right, so yeah. I forget what it's called, which is What's probably What's the one a good that thing. still has the sort of promo girls? I can't remember which one that is, oh, but yeah. <laughs> that was a big story, wasn't it? I'm not yeah. sure they will this year. I think they might, they might have had their time with that. And so just bringing it back to South By before we round off, you guys were involved in a couple of talks this year, right? Oh, yeah. Tell us about the second one. Well, the one I got like most out of personally, John Wilkins and Dr. Kate Stone, if, if you know Dr. Kate Stone from Navalia, who's amazing, did a brilliant talk on friction in human experience. So everyone and all the brands we work with are in a rush to create frictionless experiences and one click and no click and, you know, and basically the kind of philosophy is like, at what point do these brands and businesses become completely invisible? Because the friction's all gone, but so is all the experience. And so you're not even ordering it. You're just getting sent the razors or whatever it is. Sure. So, you know, there's actually no brand products being created to buy through Alexa, etc. So actually, how do we create good friction? Positive friction was the <laughs> phrase. A couple of agency names I've come up with recently. One is rinse and repeat, which I think is a great name. <laughs> but positive friction was what was That's coming positive friction yeah how do we create like peak human experiences is kind of what we're calling it It, no one thinks that going to burning man is going to be a slick entry experience you're going to queue for 12 hours in the dust just to get in but everyone comes away going it was the best experience of my life and it was so memorable and in that queue i made my best friends and a bit like supreme you've got a queue at the shop and they're building into the experience of that brand some kind of friction but it's somehow got some magical memorable and Airbnb famously put friction back in, right? Like that's the one I always reference when I talk about this with people is that Airbnb took out a lot of the host-guest interaction when they were going through their first growth spurt and realized actually what made it special was that you are talking to the person the whose house you're house. actually staying in. And so they put that layer back into the experience. And you know what? I agree. It does make it feel different. There's been a huge amount of sort of rise of veganism i guess recently and 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 the the brand vegan or organic and things like that and one thing you can say about a lot of those brands is that they have huge amounts of friction that generally there's some croissants in the office at the moment that have really atrocious design they're they're organic they're vegan and the design's all over the place but in that sort of like ecological space like people probably want the friction of the experience of knowing the detail about how and why this thing is pure rather than it being a completely clean... It's a good example of like... It's Etsy. That's the Etsy model. They say, I think the CEO of Etsy said, I never want us to be a one-click, it arrives within 12 minutes by drone. I want you to have to wait for the lady to make your red hat. And when she sent it to you with a handwritten note, it just feels really special. You've built up some kind of anticipation. There's a story behind it. You're probably going to tell your friends about the lady that made your red hat. And it kind of brings it whole to life. It's very memorable and a bit special and magical. And frankly, that's the sort of world I would rather live in. And I think there was a lot that was said at South Bay this year that gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling that technology is going in the right direction and that maybe, just maybe, we're all going to be okay. What do you reckon? I love the idea of positive friction. If we had a DJ that was going to fit well in this, we'd have a little set from Bobby Friction because that would be a (laughs) lovely play on words to end things on. Absolutely. Hattie, any final thoughts? Any last words? Anything you want to plug? What's your Twitter? It's at Hattie Hats. I can't help but think about friction. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We'll end there. We'll cover that over dinner. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. So Rob, another episode of Alexa Stopped On, number 19 in our endless series of chatting to each other and some fabulous guests. Yep. What an episode too. I really enjoyed it. As always, I 
just still love talking about how technology is going to change our lives as much as I did, what, two years ago when we first sat with Mr. Lawrence and talked about AI. Exactly. And great to have Hattie in the studio. Great guest today. Now, thinking ahead, it's been a while since we've talked about transport. Yeah, since the Hyperloop episode with Nick Earl, we've kind of moved on from transport. I know we talked a bit about scooters today. And so we're pleased to announce that our next episode is going to be recorded live on site at the Brompton factory with the Brompton CEO talking about how their work in the cycling arena has changed the transportation for lots of commuters and how they've brought technology to the process. And they've been developing the first foldable electric bike, which will be exciting to talk about. And, well, we can't really wait to sort of reprise a topic that we've talked about previously. Absolutely. So do check back next month. And as always, thanks to Disruption Hub, our media partner and supporter. Check out their website, disruptionhub.com. And you can, of course, keep up with us on Twitter at Alexa underscore stop and also on other channels. Indeed. And if you'd like to follow us personally at Jim Bowes or at Robert Belgrave on Twitter, thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. See you next time. Bye bye.